Hello, friends, and welcome back to John Guest Remembers, the weekly podcast that chronicles the life and ministry of Pastor John Guest. Today, John recalls some of the pivotal events that led up to his being called and accepting the role to be rector of St. Stephen's in Sewickley. Thank you for joining us as John Guest Remembers. Well, looking back, those years were a jumble of emotions of, and actions, of energy, of uh, our development as a family, a lot of energy pouring out in uh, different directions and a lot of stuff coming back at us in a variety of responses. So here we are in Sewickley, started our young family, two children, associated with St. Stephen's where I was a preacher once a month, and also then the youth minister with uh, other responsibilities gathering around that. And meanwhile, traveling with the band, the excursions, and doing evangelism and developing a college ministry throughout the tri-state area around Pittsburgh. My employment was really with the Pittsburgh Experiment. My boss, Don James, had died. Paul Everett had taken his place, who was an assistant to him. Reed Carpenter, heavily involved in our lives and I in theirs, with young life growing exponentially around Pittsburgh, and this student ministry burgeoning, quite extraordinary. I mean, to spend three days on a college campus playing with the band and speaking about the Lord and giving opportunity for students to respond, and something like about 400 students, camp campus by campus, saying that they would like to know more about the Christian faith that we've been speaking of. It was all very dramatic, but we took it in stride. It was just the way life was. Looking back, I can see the miracles of it all, how extraordinary it was, because it was part of a movement in Pittsburgh, not dissimilar to the Jesus movement that was spreading out around the country. A reaction to the kind of plasticity of of public life. And then with all the trouble on the college campuses, St. Stephen's had gotten involved in the Hill District, a very deprived, depressed, violent part of Pittsburgh. And they'd opened up a ministry there. One of our staff guys, paid for by St. Stephen's, was working in the Hill District. And that led to uh, uh, more engagement with the social clashes in our society, there was a huge movement across the country backing Angela Davis, who was an African-American woman who'd gotten involved in some kind of violent action. And uh, there was a defense fund, and uh, people at St. Stephen's and in Sir Wickley were backing that Angela Davis situation, which became very divisive in the parish. Dr. Williams, our rector, was confronted with a group within the congregation who wanted nothing to do with that social action and violent reaction. And so we had a divided parish, and I remember one annual meeting that became very, very contentious. That would have been in January then. So that was all going on in the parish as well. Very disturbing days for the general population I was new to the USA, relatively speaking. I had yet to become an American. And it was into that scene then that when you preach the gospel, the, the reactions were quite extraordinary. 
and the new music of uh, the gospel was beginning to invigorate younger Christians, and we were all a part of that, and it came to Sir Wickley with us. So it became quite a, I suppose we became quite an item in Sir Wickley, and the conversations not just in St. Stephen's, but at the Catholic Church, St. James, and in the Presbyterian Church of Sir Wickley, and in the school district. In fact, I remember on one occasion, I was performing down on the spring break it was Fort Lauderdale. Lauderdale had had riots with the students one spring break, and the following spring break we were there with the city fathers giving us permission to perform on the beach, and they'd put up a bandstand and delivered electricity to it for all our equipment, and so John Guest and the excursions were on the beach, and thousands of students came around us. And so we were doing these concerts day by day on the beach in the sunshine. InterVarsity was the primary sponsor of all this, and they came with a group of students from around the USA. And amazingly, students on break from Sewickley were there, and one of them was the head student at the Sewickley Academy. I've forgotten his name. But he came up to me, was showing his appreciation of what was happening at the beach, and said, would I come and speak at their graduation? in Sewickley, at the Sewickley Academy. And I said, if you can get me in there, I'd love to come. And that, in fact, happened. But it happened at Fort Lauderdale, of all places, on a spring break, when we were there to be with the university students, and a high school student from the academy was on break and was there, and got the idea that it would be a good, a very good idea, he thought, for me to come and speak at the academy, which I did. And I remember speaking at the academy and becoming somewhat controversial in the way I spoke because I spoke to the students there as I would speak to the university students on the beaches or in the universities. And one illustration I used, which I, I, I'm sure was uh, the, the, the problem because it was, and I can see how offensive it would have been to the parents in particular, but I guess I was there in my own heart and spirit, not speaking to the parents, but speaking to the graduating students, wanting them to get a grasp of the Christian faith and its dynamic in their lives as they went off to college. But I had been at a university campus. It could have been to Kent State. It was, it was not one of the Pittsburgh universities. And we had performed and done our first secular and then Christian music talking about Jesus, and then speaking publicly about Jesus and asking people to seek more information and where, how they might do that on a college campus. And one very radical-looking student came up to me and said, hey, man, where you at? And we all kind of talked like that in those days. I said, well, did you hear what we had to say? He said, yeah, man. And the only way we're going to change this world is to kick the crap out of it. Now, he used the much more serious word, which I'm not going to repeat in this, but you know which word it was. And I said to him, and it was like one of those moments that I felt the Lord move in, looking back especially, because it was quite remarkable I, how the Lord spoke through what I had to say. I said to him, I said, has it ever crossed your mind that you can redivide the wealth amongst the population? that you can, yes, redistribute the wealth, that you can redirect the politics of uh, the country, 
And basically, at the end of the day, you've still got the same basic raw material. Crap. And uh, he said, hey, man, that's heavy. He said, I'll tell you what, we'll kick the crap out of it and you can put it back together again. Because I said to him, you know, the, the big deal is this, the Jesus we are talking about can come into your lives and transform you from the inside. And what our society needs are more and more people who've had that experience with the Lord, who become leaders within our society and in our community, and transform it for good. Otherwise, all you're dealing with is the same basic raw material of screwed up people. Well, I used that illustration at the Sewickley Academy. I spoke of it. It was very recent in uh, my experience. And uh, in using the word crap at a graduation service, was, in those days, was even more coarse. Today, it's almost common language. But in those days, it was like I was swearing at the graduation. And I know that that was offensive, and I wasn't trying to be offensive, but I wanted the kids to get the reality, the graduating students, that this world is a mess. And Christ is the salvation by which we can be forgiven and made new and begin again. And it wasn't like I could preach a Christian sermon there, but I did give the essence of it at that graduation. Well, that created a stir throughout the whole of the Sewickley community, which was not my goal or aim. And I saw my life here really as a part-time life. My real life was out on the college campuses. My employer was the Pittsburgh Experiment with the backing of young life in the area and other churches that were getting involved in this student movement. So that was our life in Sir Wickley. We were day and night burning the candle both ends in the lives of kids, kids coming. I remember students would come and stay with us, come and spend time with us. Others who'd gotten converted came and joined themselves to the movement in Pittsburgh. It, it was <laughs> spectacular spiritual movement. And since we were just a part of it and watching it happen and others were gathering around it, we didn't see how dynamic and dramatic it was. But looking back, and as I'm talking about it, it seems very exceptional. And so it was. Well, along the way, I was invited, and I've mentioned this, to go to a church in Michigan, in Grand Haven, an Episcopal church. And I was really tired, worn out. And I guess looking for an opportunity to step back and do something a little more reasonable, more manageable, and uh, to recover some equilibrium in our lives as a family, Kathy and me and our children. And this church in uh, Grand Haven, Michigan, had called me to be their rector, senior pastor in the Episcopal Church. And I really wanted to go, and we've spoken of this and Kathy's desire to stay in Sewickley because she saw, as she called it, a, a bloom that was budding but hadn't yet opened up and blossomed, and uh, that we needed to stay and be a part of that blossoming. And so I went along with Kathy's sense of that uh, very reluctantly because I really was looking for a break. To tell the truth, to be honest, it's hard to be honest with myself in that, but I was really exhausted. But we stayed on and continued the ministry, and then out of the blue, Dr. Williams, Ben Williams, announced that he was planning his retirement. 
But that was a shock to me. Now there were two things really disconcerting. You've got the Pittsburgh experiment, and we've mentioned this in the past, but we'll go back and just recount it, that didn't want to grow the student ministry. Pittsburgh experiment was essentially about the business community. And they'd taken me on as an adjunct to work with college students to be a part of a bigger vision for the city of Pittsburgh to win kids in high school, follow them through college and university, and challenge them to come back into the business community, the education, health community, to to get their degree and come back and be a part of this Christian movement in Pittsburgh to make Pittsburgh as famous for God as it was for steel. It became evident that, on the one hand, the Pittsburgh experiment did not want to grow this burgeoning, exploding college ministry. And so I'd gotten that message kind of obliquely from Paul Everett, who was directing the Pittsburgh experiment, and it's perfectly understandable. His responsibilities were to the business community and to the small groups of businessmen and to the church leaders who were in business in Pittsburgh to uh, mobilize them and encourage them and inspire them in their work in the city. And we already had more people working for the experiment in this college ministry than were on staff in the business aspect of the ministry. And now on the other side of things in Sir Wickley, Ben Williams is announcing his retirement. And I tried to talk him out of it because he was a perfect leader in the community. He'd been here forever, and he was giving cover for me with the more radical uh, ministry that I was involved in. And I could see that I was something of a healer between the element that did not want us involved in the radical politics of the left and uh, the African-American community, that struggle and students for a democratic society and their kids out on strike from school and uh, drugs becoming more and more an item and an issue in the, the high school community as well as the college community. And Ben was a perfect foil. Uh, I mean, he had his own life and ministry and credibility. He'd been a, a strong leader in so many ways in the Sewickley scene and in the Episcopal Church, and in St. Stephen's in particular. So for me to be his uh, youth minister and assistant was a great foil behind his leadership to do all these other things. And my read on this, just knowing humanity and the way things work, that when he retired, they would call somebody else to be the rector, and that rector was not going to want me and what I was up to with my band and this other more radical youth and student ministry to have to manage that coming in fresh off of whatever his calling was to be the rector. So I tried to talk Ben Williams out of retiring. I said, you're still a young, strong man. You're still vibrant. You need to stay here. Well, his heart was set, and he and Lucy, his wife, were the plans moved ahead. So they announced their retirement. The church put together a search committee. The search committee brought in a national agency, a headhunting. I don't know if it was just for Episcopalians. I have an idea it was. They knew the Episcopal scene very well nationally. And they interviewed the staff and other members of the congregation and came up with a report of the sort of person that the church should be looking for, which they bought into. Well, staggeringly, that outline looked remarkably like me. 
you know, they wanted a good preacher, and I, God had blessed my preaching. Whenever I was the preacher at St. Stephen's, I feel a little awkward saying this, but the church was nearly packed out when I was the preacher. So once a month, there was a large congregation. I do remember, I'm smiling to myself even as I talk about it, the staff saying, boy, there's a cr- boy, there was a crowd in church Sunday. What's going on? Well, I'd been the preacher. My read on it was that whenever I preached, people turned up. So along the way, they interviewed all kinds of very prominent Episcopal rectors around the country. One of them, actually, that they interviewed, I found out later, had become the Bishop of Pittsburgh. And he told me that he'd interviewed for the same job that I had taken, the rector of St. Stephen's, because that's what happened. A couple of people put my name in, and so I went through the process as if I were coming in from another congregation. I put together a resume. Amazingly, one of the men I had spoken for up in Rhode Island had become the Bishop of Western Massachusetts, and he sent a very warm, glowing report about my capability. My uh, credentials from England had been moved from the Diocese of Liverpool, and uh, Bishop Appleyard, who was the Bishop of the Episcopal Church in Pittsburgh, had received my letters de misery, they were called. So he was my bishop, and I was a member of the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and so a, a credible person within the Diocese of Pittsburgh. In fact, I had played and sung at the Diocesan Convention and in one or two of their parishes along the way, as I had a wider ministry than just at St. Stephen's within the Diocese of Pittsburgh. So a couple of the folks in, on the vestry helped put that all together. Dick Means, George Stinson, who was the senior warden, Bud Harvey, who was a lawyer in town and uh, on the vestry, and uh, George Oliver, who uh, was one of the leaders of the community in Sewickley and was on the vestry of St. Stephen's. So they kind of championed my nomination. And what was extraordinary was this. Ben Williams put together the search committee. It was his choice. They were his people. They were his men. And he saw them as leaders in Sewickley and in St. Stephen's. I suppose in those days, St. Stephen's was the prominent church in the Sewickley community with the, leadership, the business leadership of Pittsburgh worshipping there. That group had been selected by Ben to be the search committee. And so one day we, as if we were visitors to the parish, were interviewed by that group of people with their wives at a dinner at the home of David Oliver, who uh, was on the search committee as well, along with, I remember, Leroy Thompson, another leading family in the community. In any case, when they gathered, and Kathy and I went into the dining room to join them, Kathy looked around and she said, uh-oh, something's going on here. Every one of the families, every single one of the families that had made up the search committee had either a college or high school student who'd been influenced by our ministry to the point of what we would say being converted, born again spiritually, an enthusiastic 
enthusiastic about their relationship to the Lord and uh, looked to me as their mentor and spiritual leader, not just to me, but Kathy as well. Kathy had an amazing influence. Our home was an open home. And uh, the girls came around Kathy and the young adult girls, uh, college students, and even some who'd graduated and uh, were married, whose marriages maybe were even in trouble. And I remember Kathy having a, an amazing counseling and relational influence for those young women. And as we gathered in the home, uh, it became apparent that it was a very positive meeting because each one of those families had been touched with the gospel. And as a result of that, it made me a very likely candidate to become the rector because one of the things the church was discovering in its assessment of the need for leadership was to reach into the younger families and the younger community because that was the absent group in the church becoming more absent. And so Kathy and I became a kind of a youth leadership, student leadership, Episcopal minister leadership in the community. And so as a result, when it came down to it, they did call me to be the rector. And I remember George Stinson coming and asking me whether I, not whether, but he said, look, we've got a vestry meeting on Monday night. And I don't know whether it was a Friday or a Saturday he was speaking to me. He said, but we would like you to come and attend the vestry meeting. So I said to him, well, I know I've got something else on Monday night. And I remember his words. They, he said, I think you might find it very advantageous to your career to change your plans and come to the vestry meeting, which I did. It was a nine-person vestry. They needed two-thirds majority, and that's to, that was the bylaws. And that's exactly what they got, six votes for, three against me becoming the rector. And so I became the, announced as the rector, and I accepted the call. Staggering. Kathy and I looked back on it as if it were miraculous. I still had longish hair. I still wore jeans and casual look, my Harry Krishna shirt, and was hanging out with the kids and had my guitar and was doing concerts around university campuses, that they called me to be their rector is miraculous. Because in those days, it was just radical. If I'd been radical at the graduation of Sir Wickley Academy with my comments, they're calling me to be the rector of St. Stephen's. I, I just put that together in my mind, chatting with you here right now. That was even more radical. And I remember the morning that they, they called a staff meeting the next day, my having accepted the call. So the staff were assembled, and I was there as one of the staff. George Stinson came in as the senior warden, that's a senior layman in Episcopal terms, and he said, I want to introduce you to your new rector. And he said, John Guest. And as silent as I've just become, the room became silent. The staff could not imagine that they had called me to be the rector. I mean, I'm smiling as I say it, but it, uh, I don't know, I, I've described it. They couldn't have been more quiet. It was just like um, beyond belief. And so it was. And then it was announced to uh, the parish and then to the Sir Wickley community and to the city. 
And I remember, uh, like uh, Dr. Lamont, who was the head of the First Presbyterian Church in in Pittsburgh, uh, which was like the big church. He was on the radio every Sunday evening on KDKA, uh, the uh, flagship station of all broadcasting, first commercial station in the USA, KDKA. And he, his sermon was on the radio every Sunday evening. Dr. Lamont called up. He'd backed me in my student ministry and put money into our student ministry. He congratulated me. He said, John, I've just heard you've become the rector of St. Stephen's. And I said, yes, isn't that amazing? He said, it is. Congratulations. Uh, what I haven't mentioned is this, and I, I, I'm sort of going to backtrack here, but one of the things we started in Pittsburgh as part of this movement was a coffee house. And Dr. Lamont, who's church was in the city, put up the money for us to rent defunct fire hall on Stanwick Street. And we rented it, it's about three stories in the firehouse. The ground floor level was like a cafe where we had different performers. Second floor was like arts. And I remember Nano Chalfont running that, and we brought a guy from in, in Bob Letzinger from InterVarsity to run the, it was called the Pittsburgh Power and Light Company. <laughs> I remember a truck arriving in Pittsburgh to deliver some equipment, electronic equipment. They turned up at the Pittsburgh Power and Light Company by mistake because somebody had given them directions there, but that's not where they wanted to be. In any case, Dr. Lamont had been a backer of that ministry as well. And so we began to make plans to transfer the leadership of uh, the student ministry so that I could become the rector of St. Stephen's. And I do remember this, for close to a year, I ran both. We had created the Coalition for Christian Outreach. We rented an office on Beaver Street above one of the stores for the CCO, the Coalition for Christian Outreach. The staff came in from around and about, because uh, we'd already now developed about a half a dozen or eight staff, and they came in. We had staff meetings there at least once a month uh, as we talked about the work that we were planning and developing. I disbanded the band because I could no longer travel with the band, but the student ministry continued to grow, and I became the rector of St. Stephen's and then had to pick up the threads of what it meant to be a senior pastor of a major league church in the USA. I'd never run a church before. I'd only run a non-profit organization that I myself had created or worked for non-profits here. Scripture Union, Pittsburgh Experiment, and then the CCO became my employer, and then St. Stephen's, and I was the rector. Uh, that was all a brand new level of leadership that I had to grow into and uh, thank the Lord the way a uh, major leadership in the congregation came around me so that we could work together and begin my leadership in the church and thereby in the diocese and the Episcopal Church at large. If you are enjoying this podcast, let us know on our Facebook page. You can find more episodes of John Guest Remembers and Christ Church's other podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our webpage, ccgf.org, or wherever you find your podcast by searching 
for CCGF Talks. Thank you for listening.